0: The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.
1: What makes us take up causes others think are impossible? What draws others to the cause, bonds us together, and gives us an inexhaustible energy and an unwavering belief that we'll succeed? I'll draw on my own experiences and talk to fellow champions about the successes, setbacks, and team dynamics that move causes forward. I'm Marvin Stockwell, and welcome to Champions of the Lost Causes podcast. On today's show, J.D. Rieger, longtime friend and collaborator of mine, J.D. has a fairly new podcast, Back to the Light which has already expanded into a podcast network, record label, and more. But what set off this flurry of creative activity? On this show, my guests and I talk about why people champion causes and what sustains them. But there's an Uber cause in the background that we can overlook, and that's to champion the cause of our own precious lives. Moving from Memphis to Chicago was a tough adjustment for JD. And before he could get back to the light, he had to march through real darkness and face his fears. When he did, he found a new curiosity pulling him forward and a renewed confidence to try new things. We'll talk about all that and much more on Champions of the Lost Causes. Well, J.D. Rieger, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, man, it's good to be here.
0: Thanks for having um, me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So... um Point of reference here, you know, JD and I have been friends for a long time, former bandmates uh, and uh, collaborators in standing up a a benefit concert weekend evolved into uh, for uh, Church Health called Rock for Love. Certainly a kind of like entrepreneurial effort that that he and I um, um, were collaborators in. So I've got a lot of deep history with uh, JD Rieger, my. Um, but uh, I wanted to have him on the show for a host of reasons. He's, he started a new podcast called "Back to the Light." He has um, uh, started the the Shangri La uh, p- podcast, and and he's and he's a musician and a songwriter. And so I want to get into all of that. But I want to first start by um, thanking him, uh, kind of publicly, for a really key insight. Uh, I started Champions of the Lost Causes uh, podcast because I myself got curious about why people choose to have the uh, to take on big, multifaceted uh, projects, David versus Goliath projects. Uh, myself in championing the cause of the Mid South Coliseum, a dormant building that we hope to get reopened one day. Um, I started getting interested in what gives people the fire in the gut to take on those causes what sustains them uh, and what makes them successful but and I was catching up with JD at this point several months ago we were joking uh, before we rolled tape about pandemic time is just <laughs> you yeah, it's it's kind of different time but a while back we were talking about his his at that point he hadn't even even launched the podcast but you were planning to uh, and you were talking about the backstory and everything that led up to it. Uh, and I, And I emerged from that conversation thinking to myself, boy, jD really decided to champion the cause of his life uh, and really remake his life. so jD, let's let's start with just like what gave you the inspiration? Uh, what what led to uh, the creation of their back to the light podcast and and what's been your experience so far?
0: um well part of it was pure necessity of course you know i had been working at a record store up here in chicago and was laid off because of the pandemic so i mean part of it was i I needed a project you know i I knew we were going to be on lockdown up here in illinois for the you know foreseeable future at the time i was thinking about it and i just wanted something to do you know um and I was going through a lot of kind of personal turmoil and thinking about, you know, who I wanted to be and, you know, no, I don't mean to, you know, uh, speak ill of my former employer who, you know, I won't mention by name, but, um, you know, that's not really what I wanted to do with the rest of my life was, you know, sell copies of tame Impala records to 19 year olds. Like, God, that sounds really judgy, but you know, like, (laughs) That's just not, that's not, and I, and you know, I want to be my own boss. I want to make my own schedule and I wanted to lead, I wanted to lead a different life. And Mm -hmm. it just seemed like since I really wasn't going to be able to do anything else anyway, it just seemed like a great time to start digging in and, and start building what I thought would be a foundation for when I went back to the record store, you know, Eventually, in a few months or whatever, and I thought, oh, and I'll have this cool new project going on, and it'll make you know everything. It'll make everything more tolerable. It'll make whatever. But um, of course, that didn't that didn't work out. So, yeah.
1: Um, how much of it was um, because you know, like you're a native Memphian like I am, <clears throat> but you um, uh, got a job up in Chicago at the at the Art Institute. Uh, you all moved up there, and I remember it was—I mean, it was—it was a—it was a—it was, uh, was a great press that you got in 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 leaving, and it was such a critical um, a part of the Memphis music scene, uh, an integral part of the kind of like um, uh, blending of how that music scene supported good works in our city, and. I just, I just feel like you were, I think everyone wished you well and thought, gosh, they're taking, you know, up to Chicago and they're going to like, recast their lives up there. What, what happened when, when you moved up to Chicago? Was it, did, did you find that it was, uh, um, how did, how how did you, how, what was your initial experience of Chicago? And did that have any role in you kind of taking a step back and having the clarity of headspace to think about all this?
0: Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll even take it a little further back than that and say that like when we moved to Chicago, I was in a, you know, kind of already in a dark place. Um, I'd been very bitter, um, for a lot of years about, um, you know, a lot of projects that didn't work out, you know, records that didn't take off the way I thought they would or jobs I didn't get, um, insert, you know, terrible thing here. Um, and had also been through, you know, a series of legitimate, you know, tragedies, uh, deaths in the family and all all kinds of horrible things. And we don't have to go back through my, you yeah. know, troubled childhood or anything. That's probably further back than we want to go for this podcast. But um, so anyway, I was, I was bringing a lot of baggage with me to Chicago. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I needed a I I needed to restart, but um, I sort of immediately fell into doing kind of what a you know I started working at a record store again, which I had which I had done in Memphis for years um, uh-huh. at a, at a few different shops, and I felt like I was just you know for the first couple of years I was up here um, it was it was pretty dark for me I didn't know a lot of people I wasn't playing a lot of music mm-hmm. I was working at this record store that was cool but I mean it's not super fulfilling work you know. Yeah. And, and things were really hard. I, you know, we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have friends. Uh, we had a terrible, we had a really small and terrible apartment at first um, in a neighborhood that I didn't like. So, I mean, it was just like, I don't know. Um, I brought the baggage with me and then, and then when we got to Chicago, things just immediately got, got even darker. Um, and, and it was a struggle. Um, but you know eventually, as it's kind of a cliche um you know i hit i hit I finally found that rock bottom that uh-huh. that people talk about, you know, where I had enough of it, and you know I had tried to quit drinking and I had gone into therapy and done all kinds of things to kind of get myself out of the depression mm-hmm. haze you know in Memphis and in Chicago, and it you know always went back to you know uh the same patterns before. Um, but for some reason this, you know, this time, which is now, you know, a year and a half ago, um, or so I'm not really counting. I don't know the exact days I quit (laughs) or anything like that. Yeah. I'm not counting, but, um, you know, a year and a half or so. And, and then, you know, so I quit and I got a therapist and started getting, uh, you know, starting getting my, getting my life together Um, and, and eventually, um, you know, I, I wasn't when I was in therapy. I would I would talk about wanting to start a podcast. Uh, as far as you know, ideas for you know when I would um, when I was still working, but I was but I was in therapy. I'd be talking about you know being unhappy at work and other things that I would want to do. And the top top of that list was always play more music and and I'd like to start a podcast. So then flash forward again to like March, I get laid off. I've got nothing else to do. I've got no excuses. I've got yeah. no, you know, uh, it was just time to start doing something. So I did.
1: Yeah. One of the things that you had mentioned, um, <clears throat> kind of gave you the headspace and it's something that I also enjoy doing and I found it it help. It's a real, it helps me think. And it's was taking walks and it yeah. was a really good, there was some really good weather and you just, you started taking walks to kind of explore Chicago and see where it would take you. And I, I wonder if you could uh, speak to it, like how those walks kind of make you start to imagine um, or or give you the headspace to start thinking about the what ifs, like what if I were to do this, like what role did they play?
0: Well, I still use, you know, taking a walk um, as like a creative, I don't know if you want to call it a creative tool or Mm -hmm. a therapeutic tool or or some of both, but um, certainly in moments when, um, I need, you know, when I have a lot of, I have a lot going on and I need some clarity, like just taking a walk and listening to some music or listening to, uh, there's this, uh, creativity and self-help podcast I listen to sometimes, you know, do something that's like meditative or whatever. Sometimes that can really, um, bring a lot of clarity. So, so yeah, of course, um, March, I you know, we're on lockdown, can't really do anything. So I started taking walks in the park by my house, which you know I live by the Chicago River, and there's some some nice little hiking trails along the river there, um, and you know, listen, listening to music and listening to podcasts, and just feeling inspired. You know, letting—I mean, I know it sounds cheesy, you know, just let it, let it, the inspiration come to you. But it's sort of like that. I think you just kind of part of it is just opening yourself up to possibilities and letting. Yeah. You know, letting whether whether you want to call it inspiration or daydreaming or you know letting yourself play a little bit, um, mm. which is like you know a big buzzword these days, you got to make time. Adults still have to make time for play. Um, uh, I haven't read those those uh, those long form articles, but I agree with it. I, I get yeah, that totally. And and I mean, and that's to me that's what being on a podcast is. I mean, you know, we're 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 sitting yeah. here talking you know, about something that I guess is fairly serious, but to me, this is yeah. very fun and, and fulfilling. And this is the kind of stuff that, you know, these are the kind of deep, deep conversations that I would want to be having anyway. So yeah, if having, if having a microphone and a record button is what makes us do it, then let's do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I think, I think very serious things can also be fun to explore um, and, and finding that, the mechanisms of exploring those things. <clears throat> One of the things that that I've I've uh, I've written about uh, in the what a book that is not yet published, but uh, Champions of the lost causes. But I talk about how you know we're kind of like casting about, thinking, what's the highest and best use of my time? What what was I put on this planet to do? Uh, and a lot of us try to help out in one way or another in small ways. But um, I, I talk about how like we have to be open to um, being essentially drafted or summoned by a particular cause. And I feel like whether it's a creative project or, uh, well, I mean, I, I, honestly a, a civic project done with others is, is you know, still creative. Um, but uh, whether it's a solo creative art project or whether it's a civic project that we do with others, I feel like um, we have to be open to it, and then all of a sudden, the idea is like right in front of us. Uh, And it's it's I maybe for some I'm sure it's a a very left brain thing, but but in my experience, it's it's very it's very much like I open my heart to it, almost maybe even unconsciously, and then the thing, whatever it is, like arrives. Both the project itself. Uh, but then also the exploration within, like I, I did not consciously think I'm going to start a group that's going to champion the cause of reopening the Coliseum. Not at all. I, did, I, I, I really started by trying to help a friend, Mike McCarthy, uh, sound off in the paper. And then it just built from there. But in hindsight, I look back and I realize I was dying for something for some big meaty project Uh, and that would call out the best in me. Is there anything like now that you had a chance to explore your, your podcast, could you talk a bit about what you thought it would be at the outset and how it might've revealed itself to you and become more than that or something you didn't expect?
0: Um, sure. Well, you know, originally it was just one podcast, you know, just me, um, I wasn't even really doing face to you know face to face, but live interviews mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we're doing right now. I was I was mostly just talking myself and playing music and then I would have friends send in little bits of them doing the same. Um mm-hmm. that was the first handful of episodes.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: um, you know, um the show evolved and then I started talking to my buddy John Miller about, at Shangri La about how, you know, during the pandemic they absolutely needed a way to be driving more traffic to their website and hopefully helping them sell some records and stay open. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about doing, you know, the Shangri-La podcast, which I'm about to drop, I guess, the third episode of next week. It's a monthly show. Uh, My podcast, my main, the flagship back to the light podcast is a weekly show. Um, And then from there, you know, it became a podcast, then it became a podcast network which I didn't necessarily anticipate. And then I brought in Jack Alberson's show to the network. And we brought in my friend Josh Travis's radio show in Arkansas. He's adapted it into a podcast. Uh-huh. And uh, we're going to be adding another show. Graham Burks is going to be hosting a show starting next month. So now it's, you know, it's, it's grown into a network and it's becoming a record label. I'm putting out the two way radio record in early December. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and it's kind of, become a catch-all for all speaking of um t- two of the inspirations for for doing this one was a Tim Regan's 9 mile thing which is like a booking agency and a record label and uh, ta- mm-hmm. uh you know public relations firm and all kinds of stuff rolled into one but all under the same name but also um was your thing um cuz you're doing a book and a podcast and mm-hmm. you know website and stuff and I just, I really liked the idea of having this kind of little, you know, universe of all the different things that you do, but under, you know, under one sort of collective name. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, so then I bought back to net, and, you know, it kind of took off from there. Wow.
1: It's amazing. You know, like, um, you know, you start something and then you drive it somewhere, um,
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the process is I mean, of course, I, I want you know, when I originally started it, I was thinking, you know, I'll I'll be the next Mark Marin or whatever. But you know, maybe um you know, maybe running the network is what ends up, you know, being the real thing. Or maybe uh, you know, make selling records next year will be the thing. Who knows? You know, but it's it's gonna be yeah. fun figuring it out. You know, that's 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 the thing that's that's cool to me.
1: Yeah, that, that is. I mean, it's like it, the, the project, as it evolves, uh, essentially reveals itself to you. Um, I mentioned it at the outset, uh, Rock for Love, the the kind of one-off concert that then grew into a, a thing that we did for more than a decade. Um, the My previous employer, Church Health, um, uh, provides affordable health care for uninsured working people and their families. And we, uh, it, it, you're, I know what you're thinking about <laughs> the mar- our marketing tagline that I kept uh, always relying on, the music down like Memphis, right? But, <laughs> but so, so, so he, uh, uh, back in Oh uh, six, I was working for, for church health as PR guy. And he said, have you ever thought about doing a benefit show for church health? And I said, um, I've thought about it. He goes. Well, we should do it, and like literally, that was the whole <laughs> that was the whole conversation. But what was cool was, you know, we didn't take a step back and go read any primer on how to start a benefit concert. We just, we just started planning, and and it helped that 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 you and I were members of the Memphis music community because uh, we could and re- kind of immediately begin to rely on our friends. Uh, and just ask and say, hey, what's your willingness? And then over the course of the next 11 years, uh, it became this kind of signature weekend experience in Memphis and grew a multi-day thing. And we got bigger and bigger acts and raised more and more money um, uh, and had a whole lot of fun. But I guess that also fits the theme of we just started it. Like like you started the podcast with, with episode zero of just you you potted up a mic and started talking about what you wanted to talk about. Uh, and now it's grown into all this. Um, but I guess, you know, in looking back, um, finding a project like Rock for Love, uh, you know, a benefit concert um, w- w- was also we were finding a way to champion the cause of um, of an established nonprofit whose mission we we believed in.
0: Um, and that had, I mean, directly helped me anyway. You know, I, I yeah. had my health care through them for at least a a year or two. I I forget exactly how long, but, um, so I was appreciative of that, uh, of that and the fact that, and my wife worked there also. Yeah. So
1: that, yeah. I mean, and and that did help in, in, in a music town like Memphis, uh, there Mm -hmm. lots of uninsured, uh, musicians. And so we helped plenty of people who were uninsured who were not musicians, but it was, it was a it was a part of our kind of like hook of the show that um that that part of tourism uh, and, and part of the economy of Memphis is built on uh creativity about music about film and art uh, and also uh, the, uh, the the concert industry and the clubs that support that um, and and so many of those people did not have health insurance so that was our way of just kind of like we already kind of had our ear to the ground. I wouldn't have worked there had I not felt, you know, uh, strongly about the cause. Um, And then that was just kind of an extension really of, um, or at least that's the way I, is that the way you see it? Of our, of our our being in the music scene?
0: That I'm sorry. Like is, is our taking on a cause an extension of being in the music scene?
1: No, no. I mean, I guess, I guess it was just like, we were part of the music scene and therefore we saw the opportunity where our gifts could help, I guess.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, it was also probably influenced a little bit by the fact that, um, you know, I just, you know, I was involved with makeshift and we had just done some kind of crazy makeshift thing at the Gibson Lounge. And it was like a very, oh, yeah. and, and then what we did, the first Rock for Love was like almost the same exact like we just did the same thing again and called it Rock for Love. Almost, that's true. So, yeah. um, so I mean, part of it was I knew that that opportunity would be there and that it would be something that you know. I was like, oh well, here here's this club that we can do it at where it's going to be fancy and we can have donors, like because that was our idea that we wanted it to be like we wanted to have like you know kind of like the, the the ground floor be kind of the rock show and then we wanted to have like that balcony lounge thing you know for like yeah that pretty the, sweet. Yeah, it Too was cool. That,
1: that club got underused, really. and now it's- well,
0: at, The problem was that it was downtown at a time when people were still not really going downtown for much. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, and I mean, I think it would still be hard to have, like, you know, if the high tone were across the street from FedEx Forum, I, I don't know if they would have the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people, just people in Memphis are weird. Like since I've been living in Chicago, I no longer see like a 20 to 30 minute drive as a long drive. But when I lived in Memphis, that seemed like driving for 20 minutes seemed like you're going to Nashville or something. You know, it would be the Same thing, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. So I mean, people just do not travel from neighborhood to neighborhood in Memphis, you know. Right. Unless right. there's something, you know, unless LeBron James is in town or something.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. Um, yeah, no, and 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 while my wife Sarah went to graduate school, we lived up near Chicago, and yeah, long drives are just part of the. Part of the thing but in memphis yeah I, I i get i get irritated if i have to drive out east you know
0: yeah yeah now I, I i say this to jen or i have said it anyway that like if we ever move back to memphis that like i will no longer complain about having to drive to like east memphis or germantown like that <laughs> like i'm there's nothing like there's nothing that i can't walk to that isn't a 20 minute drive away yeah
1: yeah <laughs> um Let's talk about a little bit more about like uh, other stuff you've found in, in, in Chicago. Uh, what, what music, music project, and I know it's been affected by the pandemic as well, but like, what, what are you doing, you know, musically these days?
0: Well, I'm, I'm working on a new couple of records for myself. Um, the first one is going to be coming out in the spring and it's going to be using a few old tracks that I had recorded in Memphis or i started in Memphis right before I left. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be a bunch of stuff that I've written this summer and recorded with um, a combination of Memphis and Chicago musicians, uh, just through file sharing and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got a band up here that I've been working with a lot called Arthur. That's Arthur mm-hmm. with two H's. Mm-hmm. Um And they're really great. They're like kind of a talking headsy disco punky sort of band a lot younger than me, but a lot of fun to work with. Uh, I play, I've played a couple shows with them, like backing them up on like extra percussion and stuff and played on their record and sang on it a little bit. And then they've been, they've been helping me on my new record. Their drum, my drummer or their drummer, Matt is, um, is mixing my new record and, and he's playing drums and the, the other guys are contributing as well. So that's really cool, um, and cool. there's also another guy up here named Matt Jentsic who I worked with at Reckless that I've I've bounced some songs with. So, yeah, I people mean, do it, that stuff
1: now. They, they can just you can file share and just make an album.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been recording with you know I had Ross Johnson track some stuff. Last week on a couple of songs, I had Steve mm-hmm. Selvage play guitar on something a month ago, like a few weeks ago on one of my new songs. Um, all that was done just over, over the internet.
1: Now, obviously, people could do that before the pandemic. But uh, is that, has that been like people mass adopting the Zoom call? Is, is, it, is it becoming more prevalent for musicians to just ship each other files? Or was
0: it? Oh for sure. I mean, people were doing it before, anyway, especially like electronic musicians. I, mm-hmm. I get the you know feeling, but um, that's, that's one of the things that I hope that has you know, been a positive of all this is that, you know, I have certainly realized that even though I am in Chicago, there's no reason why I can't still make music with my friends in Memphis, which is something I should have been doing the whole time that I was here, because that makes me happy. So, like, I mean, thank God that, the you know, maybe the pandemic uh, pushed, uh, you know, a few people into buying uh, audio interfaces that didn't have one um, <laughs> before this year. Yeah. So, now, so now there's a few more people I can collaborate with that maybe I couldn't mm-hmm. before, but, but honestly, I could and should have been doing this the whole time.
1: Um, you know, a lot of is being written uh, about um, how 2020 has, has demanded authors with the with the with the several crises, uh, you know, really kicked off in earnest by the pandemic, which has endured for the entire year, and our contentious elections, uh, the death of George Floyd, and, and the Black Lives Matter protests, how authenticity is just like we've all essentially been rocked to our core, and to one degree or another, and it's really forced a, an examination of. What really matters. Um, I, I just feel like, I just feel like, I, at least speaking personally, I, I feel like this has been a time to try new things. And it certainly sounds like that's been that for you as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm just trying to throw a lot of things out there right now, honestly. And I, I think. You know, I I realize I'm I'm forty one, so like I'm probably not gonna like be the Beatles or anything like that at this point. But you know, that doesn't mean I can't make records and you know make you know, make podcasts and maybe try to piece together a modest living as an artist, you know. Yeah. And that's and so it's slightly different goals that I have now than when I was, you know, a teenager or in my twenties or whatever. As a musician I think they're a lot more modest and but I'm still you know I'm, I'm excited about the process so I, and that's always... and that's relatively new for me you know as a few years ago I was not excited I was I had ceased to be excited about the process
1: Why? Well, why is that well
0: uh, you know I was burned out by a lot of stuff uh-huh. you know a lot of bands you know I had a lot of band breakups that went you know, Mm -hmm. and personal, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, and those come with personal relationships that sour also, Mm -hmm. uh, not every, not every, uh, band breakup story goes for me as well as Pez did, honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, because (laughs) you and I became really, you know, well, we became good friends in the band, but let's be honest. I've, I get a lot of mileage for having been in Pez, but I was, I mean, was I even in the band a full calendar year? I'm not sure, you know, like it was, it's close. Maybe it's close. yeah, well, you know, I did. We did so much in such a short time. We really did, why, you know, which yeah. is why it feels like such so much longer. But you know, we went on. Yeah. We went on one tour that was like three months, unstop, you know, nonstop for Christ's sakes. That was the
1: longest Pez tour of all time. So I should back up a step and just say JD played uh, bass and
0: and uh, co-wrote a lot of the uh, songs uh, on our third. The- that's that's being very ge- saying that I co-wrote songs on that record is being very generous. I mean, I think uh, I take credit for one, but re- okay, but whatever.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just saying we 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 write in the ensemble. Or we certainly arrange in the ensemble, or, and did then as
0: well. And I and I, I'm definitely from the punk, punk rock school that you share <laughs> songwriting credit with the band, which is something totally. that later um, probably contributed to me getting kicked out of another band when I brought up that point, like saying, "Hey, shouldn't we be sharing this as a band?" And they were like, "No." In fact, why don't you why don't, why don't you stay in Memphis, buddy?
1: <laughs> oh wow! But yeah, so um, and we recorded our, our third album in Chicago with Steve Albini, uh, and then we went on the longest Pez tour uh, of them all, uh, and and there were other ones that were long, but three months uh, is definitely really too long to be on tour. Uh. <laughs> and,
0: the ba- and I think the band paid the price for that because, you know, oh, yeah, not, I mean, you got hurt on that tour and that changed your life pretty dramatically. And then, right. I mean, I ended up quitting at the end of the tour because my relationship with, you know, Jerkface had broken down. And, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, he, y'all kicked him out of the band or whatever happened there, not shortly after. He quit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like that 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 tour was... Probably a little long. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) no, totally. Um,
1: What else, what else? Well, so what what else have you discovered uh, in Chicago? A bit about walks, collaborating with other musicians, but um, what what else has been, uh, have you found in Chicago that really speaks to you?
0: Oh, uh, speaking of other Chicago musicians, I also want to give a shout out to my buddy, Zach Caputo, who has contributed some stuff to my new record. And he's also a, he's a great musician and and uh, producer here. And, uh, and we work together at the record shop, too. But anyway, oh. um, Chicago is a great city. Um, you know, there's a it's a it's a terrifying city you know um what's terrifying you, about it it'll eat you up and spit you out you know kind of if you let it but um it's it's a big place you have mm-hmm. to earn it here you know it's a lot more you can't it's a lot easy. everything is easier in memphis to the point that you know i forgot how you know just little things like you know my my practice space in memphis for for my band I think the total rent for that practice space was something like $150 a month.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Divided by, you know, like four four members of a band, you know, five bands in the space, I think my 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 cut of the rent was something like was like $11. <laughs> yeah. That space does not exist in Chicago. Yeah. You know so there's a there's a lot of e you know booking shows like if pez wanted to book a show in memphis you could call somebody up and you could have a show next week if you wanted to Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist here either um for anybody not just like you know Mm -hmm. so everything's a lot more deliberate here is a lot more planned out Uh, bands play less but when they do play it's more of an event Mm -hmm. um People see each other less, but when they do hang out, it's more of a thing. You know, it's more of a party. It's more of a an occasion mm-hmm. uh, because it's, you know, everything is so spread out. Everything is so huge. It takes genuine effort to do anything um, oh. here, which in Memphis, everything just like, hey, man, you want to come? We're barbecue and you want to come over? Oh, dude, I'm already here. You know, like that's how <laughs> easy it is. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's. uh, Well, see, you got to make the most of it, I guess. Yeah, it's just it takes a lot more intent and effort, and I think that that's something that's a lesson that I didn't learn in Memphis because everything just comes too easily in Memphis. Yeah, and I had gotten too comfortable, and you know, had, you know, for better or worse. I I mean, yeah, I just gotten too comfortable. So um, one thing that I, you know, Chicago definitely taught me is hustle. I got I got my hustle back a little bit in Chicago for sure. Interesting. Um because you have to. If you if you want to have friends, uh-huh, you gotta hustle. You can't gotcha. just ain't, they ain't just gonna fall on your lap. Gotcha.
1: Um well I mean it really just it sounds like you've really discovered a whole new life um uh in, in a way but but it also it's not like You started doing something wholly different. You're still the same person. You're still creative. You're still a musician.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I do have a, I do feel like I, I, I mean, I don't really even remember what it was like to be. I mean, of course, I remember what it was like to be depressed. And I still, I still battle depression. Like I still get sad and get frustrated and get anxious and have all the same feelings that I had before. But I've just learned how to deal with it and I've learned how to forgive myself. And I don't know, it's just, it's very, it's been very freeing, but it takes, you know, it takes a lot of effort. You know, it took a lot of crying in my therapist's office and a lot of milkshakes to get me to, you know, get me through a night when I really wanted to drink, you know, um, it's, <laughs> you know, whatever, man. I, but I got here. Yeah.
1: Sometimes life, you know, um, it's a changing. Of, it's not just, you know, evolving, it's, it, it becomes like a changing of the season or a changing of the, of the guard, I guess, if you will, you know, for me, I had a lot of all come to an end at the same time where I wasn't working at church health anymore. I got a job at St. Jude. Um, I, the band was less active. Um and we weren't doing Rock for Love anymore. Um, uh, I was on the I was on a, the board of a concert series and mc shows called Rock and Romp. did not do that anymore. So a lot of things, you know. And I guess I've also moved out of the phase of my life where Sarah and I have young kids. They're 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 older now, and it's not it's not exactly the same thing like having
0: cute little you know. Um, Kids, um, they're still kids. Yeah, now, now they're in the like FU dad" stage. <laughs> Not, like, qu- I haven't quite
1: entered that. thing, God.
0: Uh, it's coming. But I'm sure that's it's, maybe that's it's, it's right it's coming. The it's totally yeah. coming. Yeah,
1: but but uh, but I, I feel like uh, it, it was like a, a changing of seasons, and I feel like sometimes, like the season of my life that 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 lasted from say age 35 to 47 was all one continuous block of me kind of doing similar things and then building on them. Um, but I, I guess, you know, like after that, I'm 51 now, um, it, uh, it's been a different type of thing. And it is when you really enjoy, I find just speaking personally, I, there were so many things I enjoyed about that last phase and I wanted my, I originally, you know, I guess it's a stages of grief kind of thing. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to give them up. You know, I didn't want to say goodbye to them. Um, but you almost have to set old things down uh, to pick new things up because there's just not enough bandwidth or space in your shopping cart or however you want to describe it. Um, is, is, is some of that going on as well? Uh, I mean, are you, uh, there, it's a continuation, but it, but you are also really organizing things in a, in a brand new way.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is what you meant when you said you have to let old things and I don't even think this is exactly what you said, but mm-hmm. you said you have to let old things die, which sounds like sounds like Kylo Ren or something. <laughs> you know, now that I yeah repeat it. Um or just let old uh, things
1: go, you know. Um
0: yeah. Um <laughs> for sure. That's been a major part of of my recovery process and I don't mean that from like a drinking perspective. I mean, from like a, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of things that I needed to discuss in therapy that were long overdue, long overdue. There were a lot of grudges I, I was still holding. And, and, you know, catch me in the right moment. Still could, you know, I could I could probably, you know, if you wanted to fire me up about, you know, my dad or something, you probably still, you know, we could probably still get a fire going on that if we wanted to. Um, <laughs> right you know, I still have it within me somewhere. Um, it, it never completely goes away, but, um, yeah, there's been a lot of effort on my part over the last, I don't know, year to six months to a year to, to, Mm -hmm. to finally forgive. You know, i have been keeping a very long list of all the ways that I've been wronged, a list of grievances, um, and just kind of let some of those things go and also forget. And, and, you know forgive myself as well for all the things all the times that i thought i had failed all the times that i had failed to clean my act up all the times that i had let myself down and whatever context you want to mm-hmm. you know use that yeah i mean because all that stuff was just was weighing me down you know it was making yeah. it it was keep it was making it to where i couldn't i i i couldn't see a hopeful future you know, so that's why it wasn't that I, you know, I knew that I, I was, uh, you know, hurting myself, harming myself by drinking so much, It's but I was doing it, you know, by choice because I had no hope. And, you know, because like suicide, I, I wasn't strong enough to do that. So, um, strong enough. I wasn't, you know, brave enough, um, too scared to die. Um, but not really brave Thank enough God. to live but not brave enough to live either. Um, Mm -hmm. So until I was pretty hopeless and, you know, but um, I just, it's, you know, it's hard to describe the feeling of, of, of that, of those things changing. And like, why does it change? Like, why did it stick this time? Why did it work this time? Why did this therapist in Chicago work out? And the therapist I had in Memphis didn't, help me in the sa- in the same way. Is it because that therapist is so much better or is it because I was more open? I don't yeah. know. It's probably both. Yeah. You know, it's hard to really pinpoint where it all exactly came from or like why, you know, I mean I can I can describe, I can tell you exactly, you know, where I was the la- the last drink of alcohol I had in the moment where I said to myself, okay, for real this time, this is it. And I took the I took I had like some left in a bottle, poured myself one last shot, drank it, poured the rest of the bottle out, and then went to work. Um and I did that because I knew if I didn't at least take one that I would have the shake so bad that I literally wouldn't be able to like operate the cash register. Mm-hmm. So like I I mean I had I I mean it sounds terrible, but I had to do it. Um so but I, but I remember that day very clearly just thinking, okay, this is it. And I remember thinking, you know, cause I, I think I might've had seen my therapist maybe once before that. And I was thinking if I'm going to continue to see my therapist and do the work and be honest with her and do the work that I know that I have to do, I can I mean, there's no way that she's going to put up with me doing with drinking like this. So I'm either going to have to lie to her about it, or I'm going to have to be honest with her. And so I was like, well, you know, this is a terrible idea. And then if you're honest with her, she's going to put you in rehab or something. So just stop drinking. So that's what I did. Well, well, good for you. And that's, that's, uh,
1: that's not easy to do. Um, you know,
0: I don't recommend everyone do it that way. Like I didn't do AA because AA does not jive with me and I can tell you why if Mm -hmm. you want. But, um, um you know but i'm not i don't necessarily recommend not doing AA. I know it has worked for a lot of people our friend Celon sure. is one of them mm-hmm. and i don't think he would mind me mentioning that um no um so and c has been cool to me he you know i've reached out to him a couple times um mm-hmm. still um i don't hate that i don't hate it you know but for me it was just you know another cliche they say that you have to you know it has to come from within you. You know, you can't somebody else wanting you to quit or, you know, wanting like it really has. You you gotta want it, and I mean it's true. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true.
1: Um, wow. Well, I mean, I ad- I admire your uh, what, you've, what you what essentially you know. Det- Made yourself do. De- de- you know, you determined that you would do it, and you set about it, and then you did the work. Um, that's what I guess I meant at the at the outset when I say that you you made the decision to champion the cause of your life. Um, it's the kind of uber cause uh, in the backdrop of all of our lives. Whatever other temporal causes we champion, you know, we have to sometimes directly champion the cause of our life because. Um, it's, 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 it, it is, it's our precious life and we only get so many years on this planet, you know? Um, well,
0: and if do, I can jump in, I'll just, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a marriage, man. I mean, how, how good of a partner can you be if you aren't taking care, you know, if you're not in a good place yourself, if you're not taking care of yourself, it's hard to take care of a partner, Yeah, you know? And that's the same thing with like what you're saying, um, to be I, you know, if you want to champion something else, Lord knows. I mean, you have to be able to believe in yourself and trust yourself, and um, before you can be, if I would say, of any good to anything else.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's you know. really well put. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I do gain a lot of energy from my my cause based work. You know, like uh, it, it charges my enthusiasm battery up. But uh, I just think our baseline health, uh, and and, and that goes for health, uh, I mean, you got to have a sound, uh, uh, you know, way to
0: (laughs) live in this world before you can go do anything that's really well put. Sure. I mean, just take, take, uh, I mean, you know, the fact that, when things were starting to spiral downhill for me you know i was still makeshift was still going on at the time and we were doing rock for love and mm-hmm. you know i had i had plenty in the way of causes that were you know worthwhile but you know something was rotten inside of me that i had to fix mm-hmm. first before i could really get back in the game and be you know be what I, be whatever it is I am, <laughs> what I am now i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah creative, uh, um, uh, generous. Uh, yeah, be a, be a, con- uh, be a contributor again, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the world is richer because you are back in the game fully, uh, uh, back on your A-game, I guess you'd say. So um, what's what's next for J.D. Rieger? Uh, it, it, or what's, what's next for the back-to-the-light um, uh, enterprise, the podcast, the record label? Uh, the breakfast cereal.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the, the toilet paper. Um, yeah, back no, to um, the
1: light, the flamethrower.
0: The doll. Also. Me. <laughs>
1: uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. What would my back to the light catchphrase be? I was just trying to think of what, like, if you squeezed the JD doll, it'd be like, take care of y'all or whatever. Or, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <that's> what, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was so good. Uh, no so uh, you know I have my new record coming out next year which you know I'm sure everybody says this but I, I feel strongly it's the best thing that I've ever done on my own anyway you know I don't want to like speak ill of any bands I've been in um, uh-huh. but um, certainly it's I think it's gonna be my best solo album so'm I'm, I'm super excited about putting that out next year and I'm putting out awesome. the new Jeremy I'm putting out the new Jeremy Scott record next year and cool. I'm putting out the two-way radio record this year. And I'm hoping to be putting out more stuff, um, you know, and distributing podcasts. And, you know, I'm hoping to uh, spend some time in Memphis next year and, you know, record some new music with the, the guys down there. Um, oh, and I'm I'm also, I, I don't know if I can say exactly what, though, but I am in talks with a, a radio station. I'm developing um, Back to the Light is going to hopefully, knock on wood, be a... Like terrestrial radio show oh killer that's- yeah i'm going to I'm going to do like a best of hopefully like take segments from all the podcasts and kind of mm-hmm. weave it into like a best you know a back to the light family radio hour or some silly thing like that very cool i don't know if that'll be the title, but something like that it's a working title yeah, yeah, sure, well, that's awesome, gosh, I mean. You are just
1: up to all make and manner of, of really creative stuff. It it is it is really heartening to see you so so fully back in the game as, as a person who was really locked in um closely, you know, like on, on a on a on a yearly project that you and I I both know, you know, took you know, we would start, you know, months in advance having our initial meeting. So like you know, we were we doing Rock for Love was essentially like being in a band, you know, you, it was as collaborative. So, so as, as someone that I was uh, locked in tight creatively with for so many years, doing something that, that added so much to, to, to my life and kind of filled my heart to overflowing. It's, uh, I'm grateful for those for, that we had that experience, but I am all the more grateful that, uh, that I see you so energized, man. I mean, it's just like, it's such a consolation and an encouragement to me.
0: Yeah. It's a shame that I didn't have this awakening in Memphis. I think about this all the time, like, because Memphis is so, um, easy that if I had had this amount of like hustle and, and also clarity, no doubt clarity, um, what I could have done in Memphis with this like energy, um, I think, you know what what rock for love could have done mm-hmm. um how that would have affected you know uh everything really um mm-hmm. but i mean you know of course there's no going back um but i do sometimes think about like you know i don't know if we'll be in chicago forever and, you know, it would be kind of cool to come back to Memphis and take like a victory lap or something. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it. I, mean, I don't mean that to sound yeah. like arrogant, but uh, or or to think that I would be like the, you know, the king of Memphis or anything. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not about to have that k- tattooed on my arm or anything. But um, yeah, but I do. I just think that I could do so much more there now with. Uh, I mean, I already said it, but with the clarity and energy that I have.
1: Yeah. Well, honestly, you're, you're doing a a good bit in Memphis anyway, uh, especially with the Shangri-La podcast. So, um, and, and like we said earlier in the interview, you know, these digital tools that we're all becoming more adept with are, are so ubiquitous that it's, it is allowing a kind of freedom of movement, so to speak.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, honestly, with the pandemic and everything, it's not like we could be, you and I could be like hanging out, like somewhere probably anyway. I mean, we'd probably just be, you know, so who cares where we are and, um, yeah you know I, I i don't see that as a barrier anymore like when i first moved here i was very hopeless and like oh i miss my band and i miss everything and it's like but in the past few months i've i've collaborated with with eric my bass player in memphis as much as anybody and i mean i talked to bubba you know if not every day you know every week and mm. you know, i've had him you know i've had him on the podcast and i've had him play on something over at harry's so i mean it's it's really just like kind of the same as it ever was now, except for, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I'm 500 miles away, but I mean, I'm still able to orchestrate just about as much in Memphis as I ever was. I mean, no, ooh, that sounds arrogant. Yeah.
1: No, it doesn't. No, I know what you meant. You, um, you convene.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I re- I'm so grateful and um, I'll even say blessed, even though I'm not sure who the blessing comes from, but um, or what, but you know, I've had so many friends help me out along the way just to even get here um yeah graham burks has built the website and done a lot for me jack alberson has been a sounding board and helping me you know do stuff with the podcast eric wilson i mean for i would be nowhere without you know i mean even you just ha- having you've been on the show you've been yeah. on my show and you're having yep. me on yours that's i appreciate which i yeah. greatly appreciate so sure. like It's just all about collaborating and, you know, rising tide, all boats, thousand Mm -hmm. points of light. Indeed.
1: (laughs) JD's ribbing me. That's one of my, (laughs) I I, I really, you know, it's really more me goofing on Dana Carvey. Uh, Is there anything like that we maybe didn't think to talk about that you, that you'd want to mention at this point as we wrap up?
0: Um. Other than, I mean, if people are interested in my podcast, please go oh, to... Oh, please. To, yes, that. Yeah, please. How do go they to find there.
1: you?
0: Um, backtothelight.net has everything, has all the music I'm working on and will be putting out. And it has all of the podcasts there, backtothelight.net. And you can also find uh, the podcasts on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and Alexa and everything.
1: All that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, J.D. Reager, uh, my good friend, thank you for being on Champions of the Lost Causes podcast.
0: Oh, man, it's an honor, and it's uh, been really cool, uh, you know, bouncing some notes back and forth with you this past yeah. week. I hope we keep doing that and wish you nothing but the best, my brother. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. And
1: I, sh- I should uh, – yeah, so so J.D. has uh, read a good bit of the manuscript, and I, I really appreciate you doing that, and your, your feedback was – has already has already spurred on new writing so uh, I really appreciate that appreciate you being on the show
0: sure man I hope we uh, yeah let's keep it rolling let's keep let's keep the creativity flowing man indeed JD thanks much take care see ya
1: thanks for listening champions of the lost causes podcast is a production of the Oam network available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and at theoamnetwork.com. I'm your host, Marvin Stockwell, produced by Gil Worth. Logo and design by the OAM Network. Content and social media coaching by Emily Austin. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm on Twitter at, at Marvin Stockwell. Keep up with the latest at championsofthelostcauses.org.